Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening to each and every one of you tonight. My therapist says welcome. My name is Pastor Don Welch, and I'm the counseling pastor here at Skyline Church, and we welcome you tonight to My Therapist Says, where it's like having a therapist, or tonight, a therapist and financial advisor in your living room. So we're really thrilled about this evening's service. Our own our own lead pastor, Dr. Jim Garlow, was so enthused about this that he asked if we would uh, send out an email, which he did, I think, yesterday to everyone in our church, inviting them to uh, attend this. So we're glad that you're here this evening. This should be a powerful, powerful evening. I was mentioning to the group this evening of panel members that out of my 25 plus, I'm really getting much older than I'd like to admit, but out of my 25 years of counseling, in the last two years, I have never seen the financial challenges as I have during the last two years of my ministry as a counselor. And so this really is apropos for this time of the year and the needs that uh, we seem to all continue to be uh, facing. So I'm so glad for our panel members. I'm always so delighted to uh, introduce them. And then at the same time, when I get done with one of these, I'm also always so proud of the work that God continues to do through our panel members. I'm the moderator, so I get to enjoy all the work they and you do. Because tonight, as we participate, if you have a three by five card, would you just hold that up in the air just to make sure you have one? If you have a question for the panel members, please, if you would, write that question now and then just raise it in the air at any time. We have hosts that are ready. There's one raised card right up front here and those cards will then be brought to me. Again, write your question. It's anonymous. We are audio taping. All of these are available on Skyline's website at skylinechurch.org and you can have anyone in the world listen to these previous and tonight's presentation. Within, I think, two days, we'll have this one online. So there are archived and available uh, for your listening. Various topics from depression, eating disorder, family issues, individual issues, disorders, Really, you name it, we've been through a very myriad of topics, and tonight again on a really a debt-free relationship. I, I was just a little optimistic when I actually created that title, and so I was a little optimistic that you could actually have a debt-free relationship, but maybe you do. You're coming here tonight to know how to s sustain that and create even a better relationship. But as we begin tonight, just want to invite you again to have that 3 by 5 card and to raise that at any time. At any time you'd like to speak directly to our panel members, all you need to do is raise your hand without the 3x5 card and we'll bring you a microphone. And that always gets interesting. Oftentimes we have quite unique discussions later in the evening. So as we begin tonight, I would like to have a word of prayer and then I'll briefly introduce our panel members and we are off and running here at My Therapist Says. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful evening. Thank you for the gift of finances, and we are all encumbered by the need for finances. And I pray tonight as we work together, Father, you 
really believed and do believe that money is very important. It's how we treasure it and how we utilize it for not only your kingdom building, but caring for ourselves, our family members, and even friends, and those who are disenfranchised. You always encouraged us to do so. I pray your blessing upon uh, this evening, our panel members for Jerry Troyer, who will be presenting, who's been with us before, and an outstanding Christian gentleman. Bless him. And we'll give you praise for what you accomplish. We'll leave here tonight changed people because of your presence, which makes all the difference in each of our lives. And I pray this and we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. If I may just quickly introduce, and again, if you have your three by five, five card, would you raise that in the air because they'll need to be brought to me so that we can begin the discussion. Any other three by five cards, just raise those in the air if you have your anonymous question that you would like uh, to raise. Just to my left, uh, Mr. Jerry Troyer, actually it's Reverend Jerry Troyer, who uh, his bio is up on the screen here, but I want to say just briefly that he had some 22 years in executive leadership in banking and he has his own for-profit uh, financial consulting team as well as Providence, which is his nonprofit uh, entity. And I know in our congregation here, he's helped many of us in the area of finance. And his lovely wife, I, I don't see your wife here tonight, but she, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And uh, this is... This is a wonderful, wonderful couple, and I so believe in him, and I know when you hear him, if you've not already heard him, he's very articulate and has deep biblical truth that he uh, coalesces, I almost want to say collides with finances, but coalesces, so we look forward to him presenting our first 15-minute presentation. Yolanda Gorick is with us again. Yolanda has uh, presented on several occasions, another very gifted communicator. She actually, we're going to talk later, she actually has a uh, group that she is developing. She has one that's now working together, and we'll be advertising that at the end of our presentation tonight, and I'm so glad uh, she comes to us with lots of maturity, and we're thankful. And her husband is with us tonight, and so glad to see him as well. John Richardson has been with us, and John is a CPA, uh, has tremendous financial knowledge. He also works with a nonprofit, as I understand it, and is you'll see his strong belief in the Lord. I'm always so proud uh, to introduce. I, I used to go, do these long introductions, and finally, uh, John and Donna helped me to give these bios so I could be real short, and then I get really excited again. I want to introduce our panel members because I'm just so very proud of them, and I really am, and thank you all three of you for being here uh, this evening. So before Jerry comes, and he may just be right where he's at with his microphone and, and introducing us, you should have a brochure uh, that gives the PowerPoint presentation, which will be online as well with the audio at your leisure if you just go to skylinechurch.org. So any other three by five cards, just raise those in the air if you have your question that you would like for us to respond to. Jerry Troyer, thank you, sir, for being here. It's certainly a pleasure to be with you tonight. I'm thankful for each one of you, thankful for how the Lord has created you, and thankful that you had the courage to come here tonight and listen to finances, because many of us right now are confounded, confused, uncertain about the financial realm and what to do about it, and how does that interact with our Christian lives? And so that's what we're here to talk about tonight, and allow me to begin by saying, you are in the right place. You have come to hear, and we pray 
that you will garner some things that you can take away from this tonight. I want to say, too, that all of us are the same. Each one of us sitting here, we're all the same. We've all done some really good things with money. We've all made some good decisions. And we've all made some bad decisions. So we're all the same. We're all the same looking to find the right path to follow God and his leadership and using money that will honor his kingdom. And so as we go from that point, let's turn to the PowerPoint in your handout. Over the 27 years that I've been helping people with their individual finances, I've been asked the question, I don't have the exact number of times, but I'm going to guess over a thousand times I've been asked, we have debt. We have a heavy load of debt. And we know we're to tithe. What are we supposed to do? Pay the debt? Or are we to tithe? And so I thought tonight, and Don has approved, that we talk about that for the first few minutes tonight. And so I ask you to turn with me. And the first thing we'll look at is what God has ordained about tithing. And this is a common verse that is used by many of us in financial advising when people are asking us about tithing. The first thing we have to respond is to turn to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. And within this verse is the only time that the Lord speaks directly and says, test me on this. Test me to see. And the verse says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Uh, by the way, back then, part of the temple did have a specific storehouse, and so this specifically means bring the tithe to the church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if, it, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Amen. And so it is when we tithe. And so one of the perplexing questions that I ask right after people inquire, should I tithe, should I pay debt? I ask the question, when things were going good and finances were flourishing, or at least okay, did you tithe? And so you need to ask yourself that question. Were we living high on the financial stream, or did we take time to tithe? If you were not tithing when finances were good, may I ask that you go to the Lord and confess that to him. He's faithful. He will forgive. He will carry you forward from there. But you will need to do your part. So let's turn to the next slide. Let's talk about debt. The official words are, you've made and signed contractual obligations. That means you've said in writing, I promise to pay. It doesn't say, I promise to pay as long as things aren't hard. It doesn't say, I only promise to pay when things are easy. Or it doesn't say only, I'll promise to pay if things are ordinary. It says, I promise to pay. And it says, I promise to pay every penny I borrow, no matter whether I like the interest rate in two years or whether I don't. 
or whether I think the payment should be lower or not. Or I don't like the term anymore. That's not part of what we get to negotiate either. Now, there may be exceptions to that. But when we say, I promise to pay, it means, I promise to pay, without exception. The law says you must pay back your creditors, no exceptions, and you need to complete your promise. It was interesting, Paul gave us such great instructions. And it's so interesting to see what the American marketers and advertisers have done to us in making us want to have wealth and want to be rich and want to have upward mobility and live at a standard above what our income allows. And so credit was made available and made easy. And now many of us have difficulties because we accepted that credit. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and then also 18 and 19 says these words. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the age to come so that they may take hold of the life that is real. And so perhaps we've fallen prey to the great desire to have wealth and to have riches and to live life our way. But let me say, it's not too late to draw the line in the sand, to drive the stake in the ground, and to begin anew. And so I'm thankful that you're here tonight. And for those of you that will be wanting to start anew, Tonight is the beginning for you. In the next slide, it talks about the consequence of, excess, of excessive debt. And that truly means that the consequence is when we have large debt and we need to pay that off, we will not be able to tithe. The two just don't go hand in hand unless you have the opportunity and it's right for your family to go out and get additional income. And that's very hard to do in our economy today. If you have taken on an excessive amount of debt, I ask that you confess it to God and to memorize and put into your memory the verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That forgiveness is available for each one of us, for any of us that have misused money and want to be restored and to begin using money right. That verse is for you. It is proclaimed for you. So the next step is to continue to ask God for his counsel knowing full well that we have to do something about that also. We need to know that if we're going to correct financial situations and stresses, that we'll have to do our part. We'll have to take responsibility. One thing that I've heard and I've found and I've seen, and I only have a little note in here, is that many people attempt to take care of debt by gaining more debt. 
And from my perspective, I've yet to see one person succeed at that. It's a formula for failure. And then another thing that is really important for us to remember when we still have heavy debt and are unable to tithe, to look at the story of the widow's oil and going to 2 Kings chapter 4, after the widow had gained money from sale of oil that was miraculously provided, she went back to the man of God and asked his opinion. And he said to do this with the money in 2 Kings 4 verse 7. Go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live off the rest. And so we have specific instruction. What we need to do with our debt, if it's interfering in our Christian lives, if it's making it so that we cannot tithe, we need to work diligently to pay off that debt first. And that might mean we don't get the latest model car. And we don't get to go on vacations yet. And we don't get to go shopping every other weekend. And we may have to wear the same clothes for two years. But I think it's worth doing. And then what about still wanting to give to the Lord? When we can't tithe, but we want to give. And I turn to the example of Moses when the Lord spoke to him. And they were taking up donations and gifts to be used for the building of the temple. In Exodus 25, verses 1 and 2, it said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And so I ask specifically to make a commitment, to have a willing heart, to stay loyal to the Lord in a certain amount that you give to the church every payday. No matter what that amount is, to stay committed to it. I believe you will find a blessing in that. And then a very common verse for us to know is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. But I want to point out a different part to it that perhaps some of us don't know. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And almost all of us know that part about God loves a cheerful giver. But the part I want to address tonight is the statement of what you have decided in your heart. And that's what I want you to address. What's in your heart, what has the Holy Spirit laid on your heart, that if you are not able to tithe tonight, what will your commitment be? And can you give it consistently with the desire of your heart? And be cheerful about it. Why would we give money to the church, to our God, our Creator, if we aren't cheerful and happy and doing it with love? Why give? And then on to the next slide. 
again reiterating, stay consistent. Give from your heart. Pour your love for the Lord out. If you're giving a dollar, give a dollar with love. As your debt is retired and you can increase something, will it be spending or will it be giving to the church? I believe it should be the church. And may I ask then too that you live below your means. And can you find a way to accept that it is good and honorable to live without credit? And then thirdly, once you've reached the stage of tithing and you're living below your means and you're living without credit, what do you think about giving God a raise? Hmm. Give more than the tithe? Give God a raise. It'll be remarkable, your love relationship, how it grows with the Lord. Lastly, let me say, woe to those who have tried to outfake God by saying, God, I can't tithe because I have too much debt. But yet they continue to live on credit. They continue to live in a fashion that is above their means. They continue to use credit to continue on a path, on a journey to promote themselves. Vacations, new cars, new clothes, dining out, entertainment. If you're still doing all those and telling God you can't tithe, I think you're wrong. God only asks for 10%. And for those of us that tithe, we know that 90% goes so much farther than 100%. God can make that happen in every one of our lives. So lastly, let me conclude by saying, give to the Lord. Stay committed. Whatever you can give, give. I've had people that have agreed to start giving and that beginning amount was 25 cents a pay period. And I saw them blessed. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. When Jerry sent me the uh, information for tonight, um, I read it very carefully, looked it over, and then I sent a quick email back saying this is so absolutely biblical and true. And I thank you. If you were sitting as I'm sitting this close to Jerry, you would have seen the passion in his eyes as he's seen hundreds, literally he and Mary Jo, his wife, his lovely wife, they've seen hundreds of people who want to serve the Lord. They're wanting to be obedient to the Lord, and yet they're encumbered with what he just talked about. So I had the privilege of uh, watching your eyes and the passion with which, and the gentleness with which you were attempting to say biblical truth. Uh, tonight is not to create guilt. Um, guilt does not produce change, actually. A contrite heart does. 
And so we, we, as we work here tonight, many of us are in different journeys, different places with our finances. And we want to take this biblical truth and now download some very, very practical questions that really try to dig deep into those scriptures and to see how God wants us uh, to function. I say this again, out of my 25 years plus of counseling, I've never seen such troubled times related to financial issues. Good godly people where a job is lost, somehow there's a pink slip, you're walked out of your job. Someone walks out of the house who is providing help and just leaves the other person. I could go on and on, and so could Yolanda as well. And John and Jerry, of course, in their own financial fields could as well tell just horrifying stories of good Christian people who are trying to do the right thing, and then all of a sudden they find themselves turned upside down. And so we pray as we work here tonight, as these practical questions are coming, and I have some to start with, that we will hear from the Lord because he wants to help us and to prosper. That doesn't mean we're going to become millionaires, but he wants to take our monies and to use it for his kingdom building. And I want to thank my own parents. At age 12, I started tithing, and I watched my own little money. That It was about 25 cents, I think. That was a lot of money back then that I, that I earned. And I'm so thankful for parents who taught tithing. And if I had time, I could spend the rest of it, and I won't, the rest of the time tonight telling you over the years, truly, as a Christian man, how God has blessed tithing in my life, my family's life, in incredible ways. And so I thank my own parents, Lee and Pauline Welch, who taught me. They gave me an envelope, and each week I would put my little tithe in that I was cutting lawns and the next door neighbors and took that little amount. And I can't tell you how God is blessed. So thank you for leading us into that. I know it's a very serious topic. You asked to make sure, you know, and I read all of the PowerPoints before we present them, but beautifully done. I thank you for leading us through that. Let's jump into the questions, if we may. And again, if you have any questions, just raise your three-by-five card. Uh, we do have a number of them, and at any point in time you wish to speak to the panel asking a question or respond, please just raise your hand without a three-by-five card, and we'll quickly bring a microphone to you. Here's the first question. I think it's a great, powerful question. What is the easiest way to establish saving habits? We're looking at a debt-free relationship. What might be some of the easiest ways to est establish saving habits? How would you suggest that? I think it's a great question to start with this evening. I don't see any easy way to start saving habits from my personal experience. I would say our first step, my husband and I, is knowing that you have spending habits, knowing where they are. It's almost like someone who is trying to lose weight and they want to know how can I lose X amount of weight. It's not the losing, it's the keeping it off. And I don't think that begins for us. My husband and I went to Crown Ministry in the 1980s and um, we were completely ignorant of so many of God's principles. Um, so for us, we needed to be aware of what the principles were so then we could learn to trust God and then we could save. But I don't think that we meant it as so much as saving as uh, really following the biblical principles. And as for tithing, we were in a lot of financial difficulty when we first became born again and we went to a church under Pastor Jack Hayford and we just were taught about tithing and we were strapped financially 
And we just jumped in and started tithing at 10%. Mm. And this is the two things that I remember. One, we were fearful, so we weren't exactly cheerful givers, but we were certainly obedient. (laughs) And um, second, it wasn't the cheerfulness, it was the fear. And because our pastor led the way into 10%, there was no building up to it, it was a free fall. Uh, What we learned was God's total ability to cover everything we needed. We struggled for, oh, maybe three to five years, but we never looked back. And what we found is we had one less thing to argue about because we knew we needed to do it. (laughs) We had probably some of the most intimate times in our relationship growing and learning uh, God's economy. It wasn't easy, but it was definitely freeing. And it was one less thing we could argue about because God put our finances within our control because we put it under his lordship. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My thoughts on that are, basically there there is a a model in in the Bible that basically says that for tithing, it's first fruits. In other Mm -hmm. words, the first money that you make, the first 10% you give to God. And the same exact principle works with savings. The first 10% goes to God. The second 10% goes to savings. And you set it up just like a bill. I mean, you could, if, you're, if you have a 401k and your employer sponsors one, you can have it where it's payroll deducted. If you don't, you can set it up where it goes to a savings account, the same thing. Essentially, get it out of your hands before you can spend it. But if, if you'll tithe 10% and save 10% and you start that when you're in your, t- in your 20s, you'll be fine. Is that that old principle that I talk with my university students about? If they just save right out of college, save $2,000 a month and the compounding interest by the time they're 65, they will have saved a million dollars. Is there truth to that or is that just an old wives' tale? Well, there's truth to it depending on return. Oh, there you go, (laughs) yes. But it can happen. But but there have been years that the returns were such that it wouldn't uh, make that happen. But it's a great goal to go by. And I agree with John, uh, if, if you want to do something beyond retirement, many employers now are offering direct deposit to more than one account, and that's a great place to put money into a separate savings account. If you're married, you need to decide in advance, what will you take money out for? What would cause you to make a withdrawal from that savings account? And there needs to be a joint, unanimous decision of why you would take money out of that account. Otherwise, it's there to stay. It's there for good. And every time you get a thousand more dollars in there, I think it's time to celebrate. Mm. And I'd celebrate by putting another 10 bucks in there. (laughs) So this is the same concept that Yolanda, you were saying. It's easy to get the weight off, but it's keeping it off. There's a discipline element. So you're talking about a mental discipline where I already plan if I have something happen, let's think of all the things that could happen. What will I choose to take out of my savings? Because once you start depleting it, it tends to burst. Is that what you're saying kind of? Exactly so. If you decide, well, We haven't planned on entertainment, Hmm. but you know, I don't know what musician to say, but my favorite musician is coming to San Diego, and by the way, that'll happen about every one to three years, always seems to be that way. We haven't planned for it, we don't Hmm. have money set aside for it, but tickets are a hundred bucks a piece, 
and there are two of us, and now our friends want to go, and they're asking us to go out to dinner too, and oh, we haven't planned for it, but oh, we have this savings account. Is it worth to take the money out of a savings account to go hear music and to digest some food? So my thought again is structure, plan. Reward yourself somehow by celebration that you have accomplished your goal and the only time you're taking money out is for something specific, like a broken life. Okay, be, be real specific with this. Let's get real practical with that concept because I think you've said it twice and it makes absolute sense. We celebrate many things. In fact, tradition in families creates health. That's why the Jewish tradition and Jewish families have the least amount of divorce is because they build in tradition. They build in hope. They build in anticipation of what's going to happen when the next event comes forth to honor God. So what are some ways to reward yourself when we do save? I would like to eat ice cream, but that won't be a good reward for me. But what would be a good reward? You've mentioned a couple, but what are some other practical ways to enhance that? Because I think you've seen that when people don't reward themselves, there's a tendency to take more out is what I'm That's hearing. That's right. It can almost be self-defeating by not giving yourself a reward at some point. And for me, the reward is the ice cream. There is no doubt about it. You're my it, kind of man. Yeah, there you go. All okay. right. <laughs> so to spend four bucks for ice cream, I can take that out of our regular budget and go do that. Uh, I'm also a big Jamba Juice fan, so going to get the large instead of the small Jamba Juice, there's a nice little reward for that. And you can actually make that into a date and, uh, you know, go hiking or to the beach or something afterwards and just enjoy a good time there. And that is one of the great advantages that we have in San Diego is being able to go into the mountains and hike, go to the desert and hike, or just take your spouse to the beach for a romantic walk along the ocean. How good is that? What a great celebration. I want to stay on that for just a moment, Yolanda. Help us psychologically, because I think you've said it very well. Those are great ideas, Jerry. What happens to us psychologically then when we do reward ourselves? This is a real practical thing that I, I see with my own patients. They want to do this, clients, they want to be able to do this, and this idea of uh, rewarding oneself for uh, behaving in a way that's disciplined. One idea that comes to my mind, I'm not sure if this is what you're asking, is that because there, are, there is so much stress and conflict and wear and tear on couples over money, the loss of it or the want of it, that when you want to celebrate discipline and planning ahead and making your goal of whatever it is in your savings, I wouldn't minimize how important it is to tell your partner, good job. We did it. Mm -hmm. We we can do this. Mm -hmm. Let's let's keep tithing, or let's keep you know watching. Let's keep talking about what it is that mm -hmm. is going on, so that we take you stop the blaming, and you start praising. I think because um, the whole the whole issue, the financial issues are a symptom. Yes, they are a problem, but they're symptomatic of other things going on. And so I think one of the ways to celebrate is to give each other the praise that we can do this. It's just a little bit. Even if you've had a setback, but you get back on track. Because I feel that there's so much conflict, couples often forget. They mm -hmm. think it's, you need to hear 
how you support one another. And you need to hear and thank your spouse and say, you know, I really appreciate it that you didn't mind that when you asked me to go out to dinner, I, I said, no, we can't afford it. And you were really nice about it. And you didn't feel hurt. And mm -hmm. So I think we need to be kind to each other. We can celebrate love as opposed to conflict. That can be one way, in addition to the practical ways, because um, your obedience really does put in uh, seeds for your future. And in God's economy, you have no idea how he's going to bless you. And he, if you are faithful in the little, he is the one who can make you faithful over a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, my thought as far as a reward, and if you kind of look at the, the debt-free relationship that you're trying to establish, I think you need to, to make a commitment to basically not buy stuff for credit. Okay, anything that depreciates for credit anyway. So uh, the way that you do that and the way you kind of build in a reward for that is you literally save for something and then when you have the money in the bank and you go and buy it. So that it's really just delayed gratification. It's instead of buying it and paying for it with interest, you save it and you get a little bit of interest to help you along the way and then once the money is there, you go buy it and it's a true celebration. It's a real reward. It's paid for. Uh, that that just is mm -hmm. is you know, the the basics. The way I grew up, that's the way my parents taught me. They were both Depression era. Mm -hmm. they, they didn't buy anything with credit. So mm -hmm. if they didn't have the money in the bank to buy it, it just you made do or you found another way to to, to get it done. But uh, buying stuff on credit was just never an option. And that's mm -hmm. that's the household I grew up in. There are many people in the mental health field who believe that uh, the rise of some psychological disorders and issues, aberrations, have a basis of the inability to delay gratification. So it's not inconsequential or it's uh, not confusing to think that the lack of delay of gratification is perhaps leading to or opening up more uh, substance abuse or inability to control one's life. And so there's a correlation there if we look at that. Even some Axis II disorders, which are personality disorders, have the inability to manage the delay of gratification. So this is a very good point that you're making because there's a discipline that happens to save the money and thus later be able to use that same discipline in a different context, say in the relationship with your mate or with your children or with a friend or at work, whatever it might be. There's another practical question that ties right into, John, what you were saying. If you have credit cards, let's use your concept here. If you have credit cards with large and small balances, is it better to pay off the small ones first and then put those payments toward the larger ones? You probably have heard that question before. If you have credit cards with large and small balances, is it better to pay off the small ones first and then put those payments toward the larger ones? Yes, I have heard that question before. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> Not more than hundreds of times, and it's a beautiful question. Uh, the answer from my perspective is, it doesn't matter what the interest rates are, pay off the smaller ones first, mm. because it does bring gratification. Mm. And that is the sole purpose, I say, of paying off the smaller ones first. There is a gratification, a success ratio that comes psychologically to you to say, Aha, I can check that one off the list. I have one less to go. And then you can take those payments and apply them to the next largest credit card that you have. Mm, great answer. 
Okay. Again, those of you who would like to respond by uh, a microphone, just raise your hand. And actually, we could use more cards. I have, I have several questions, but if you have a question, please write that down and raise your hand with the card. I want to go back to tithing because this question goes back to it. What do you do when, and this seems so practical, it's such a good question. What do you do when 10% of your income is a lot for the little you get? So in other words, what they're earning. Being unemployed and having little to support your family is giving time of the church enough. So it's asking the question back to what you articulated early on this evening. What do you do here when you really, it doesn't seem like you have even 10% is a lot of your income or the money that you have to which to support the church isn't, isn't just giving the church time enough. How do you respond to that question? My response goes back to the same as what I was mentioning earlier, that if you are unable because of expenses or debt or outstanding credit payments, that you are unable to tithe because of needing to provide a home, whether that's an apartment or whatever it might be, and also to provide food, I still think you need to have a committed heart of giving something to the church. God has provided that money to you. He doesn't need that money back for his economy, but he's allowing you the privilege of saying, Lord, I love you so much. Here's a dollar that I'm taking, and it might be a large sacrifice, but I'm taking this dollar, Lord, and I'm giving it back to you for your work here on this earth, and I'm doing it because I love you. I'm not doing it, Lord, so you'll bless me. I'm doing it because I love you. And thank you for allowing me the privilege of giving a small portion of what you gave to me. And maybe it's hard. Maybe it's really hard to give anything to the church. But it's a way for us to express our love to the Lord. And perhaps you can't tithe now. But when things are better and you find that employment, and over time as your finances change, God will be calling and asking you to come back and tithe. And so give, as John was saying, from your first fruit, a certain amount. And if you aren't certain what it should be, God does hold that answer for you. He'll be happy to share that with you. So you've moved this into a love relationship. Tithing is a love relationship with the Lord. Let's talk about that for just a moment. I truly believe that is the case. You know, we, we know that God is all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. He doesn't necessarily need us, although He does. Oh, I'm not sure that's true. He doesn't really. He's, he's, he, he's sufficient within Himself, but because of His very love nature, He extends His love to us. He can't but yet love us because of who he is. So talk to us for just a moment, all three, if you don't mind. What does this mean, this love relationship tied to the concept of tithing? I'm aware in the New Testament, Jesus talked more about tithing than he did prayer. There are more times mentioned on money, excuse me, not tithing, excuse me, I meant to mean money and issues related to money and the treasure of it, compared to even prayer. Not that he demeaned prayer, that's vital and important, but he realized how important money 
is to a human being. So how is that tied into a love relationship with the Lord? When we tithe, and I think you were intimating, just even a small amount is extending myself to my maker, saying this is your money, this is, as you said earlier, this is my commitment, I have this commitment to you, and so you're extending yourself to the Lord. My personal experience with this, and my husband, we both had different experiences when we first started tithing, because as I said before, we were, were not really trained in that. And when I prayed about it, there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of anger that I had to deal with. And the way that I felt God won over my heart and, and changed my attitude was that God showed me how much I was in the control of something else in this um, in our situation, our financial situation, which seemed like there was never enough. And we were always going from month to month to month. And I felt God was asking me, you've asked me to be Lord of this area, this area, and this area. This is the last, one of the last areas. Will you trust me to be Lord of this area? And actually, it wasn't really the finances. It was my fear. So in being teachable, I felt that God was very gentle very direct, and very faithful. And um, I think that it taught me a lot about his character because we expected when you tithe, and it was so difficult for us to just tithe 10% and not start out with 2% or 5%. And it lasted, we just travailed through that for a long time. I kept expecting things to change because we were doing this. And what I learned is that we changed. Mm-hmm. We didn't argue. We had a cheerful heart. We knew that if we gave God at his word, he was responsible for all the bills. It was up to him. And something lifted in me, something that was oppressing me, something that was crushing the life out of me. So I felt the winsomeness of God's character to discipline with love, which I did not have growing up. And it was a very sweet time for me, introducing at where I learned the character of God, introducing mm. himself to me as my, not my father, but yes, my father, mm. something I didn't have before. Because in our culture, the men learn a lot of things, and the women are just expected to get married and have children. So I grew up with a lot of deficits, and that was one of them. Mm. Mm. So that was my introduction, and it was very sweet. And it continues to this day, by the way. So, uh, in, in terms of a, of a love relationship, uh, God is a jealous God. He desires your love more than anything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. money and possessions and stuff can be a competitor for his love. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you love money, if you love stuff, you can't put God first if you love it more than him. So the tithe is a way to tangibly say, I am going to give you, God, some of this stuff. And it helps to literally elevate God to be God and the stuff to just be stuff. Isn't that interesting? When you look at the church, now I'm an old pastor here, and the one thing I discovered years ago as a senior pastor was that the last thing that a person brings to a church, they come, participate, is their money, their tithe. It's the first thing they stop before they leave. And it's really interesting tying that in because that shows two very important points of 
a change in a person's life. The very last thing they're going to bring to the church is their tithe. The very first thing they pull out when they're getting ready to leave. And I remember discovering that as I was pastoring. A lot of people were leaving, weren't they? Must have been when I'm saying this. But that, that was my discovery. And it's interesting how important that is. And I wonder if it ties into partially or maybe a lot, like you're saying, John, about that love relationship with the Lord, and maybe that competes with or even conflicts. I still remember Mother Teresa when she was quoted as putting her feet on the soil of America, and she quoted, she quoted the fact that she, she began to weep over the nation, over the nation, where there was a miss between that relationship of love relationship with the Lord. And I just wonder if her weeping was over the fact of that we might have... Uh, been tied into our hearts might have created as the first command an idol other than serving the Lord. So very well said. Jerry, were you going to add something or no? Well, I would just like to add specifically to what you were referring to about Mother Teresa, and she did identify America so very well. Almost every day we have to come to grips with what are we going to do about other material possessions? According to a recent study I saw, we see 14,000 different forms of advertising or information every day. Everything you take out of your refrigerator, get into your car, drive down the road. If you're listening to the radio, you'll hear that. You turn on the TV, you'll hear it. Virtually everything you touch if I turn the cushion over on this chair, I know I could find the manufacturer. Everything we touch is now labeled. And if it's not enough that we see those things, we're told how beautiful it would be to have them. Mm. And that we can have them now. And the payments are only going to be X amount. A lot of times for 20 or 30 years. But they teach us here in America that we need more. And I'm not opposed to advertising and marketing as long as it's in the proper way of saving and buying. But when we are inundated and we don't know what to do, and then we see our coworkers driving that new car, or we see our coworkers or our fellow Christians come to church in a new outfit, we want the same. Or I go to these parties and I ask specifically, where did you go on vacation this year? And everybody's anxious to answer. And so it's really important for us to know how we're being picked on, as I call it. Mm. How we're being picked on. And it reminds me in the verse of the Bible that in this world you will have tribulation. Mm. And for me, that is the tribulation of what goes on in America with advertising, marketing, social pressure, adult peer pressure. But ah yes, Jesus has overcome the world. Mm. And so we can with him too. Thank you. Let's, let's go back to this idea of tithing. There was another question that just came that ties right into tithing. Is the 10% of the money for tithing net or gross income? And then the statement says, the government already takes so much. Well said, huh? Okay. Is well the t Is the 10% money for tithing net or gross income? We've got our two financial advisors here. 
You want to go first? Do you want me to go? Yeah, I mean, my answer for that is, is gross, quite honestly. I believe that, that it's on gross income. Now, let me, let me be specific. If you have like a small business, okay, you can, obviously can't tithe on the gross. Small, some small businesses don't have a, a net income mm -hmm. of less than 10% of the gross. But if you're a W-2 earner, there's a gross income mm -hmm. and there's a paycheck that you bring home, I, I firmly believe that, that that tithe should be on the gross. The gross. Okay, because thank you, and I I know this that question was asked before a similar question, but then someone had a follow up with what you just said, John, on this related to say you have a business and you're not you're you're there's not a, a, a flow of income. It, the question goes: I believe we live in a great country with lots of opportunity to start a business. However, most starter uppers don't have money to get going and need to borrow. What advice do you have for people, especially when paying yourself takes time? You know, say when, you're, when paying yourself takes time and it's asking how to borrow, and then we could tie it back even to tithing, because you, you, you intimated a connection there. Do you understand the question? Not necessarily just for John, but um, I believe we live in a great country with lots of opportunity to start a business, however, most startups don't have money to get going and need to borrow. What advice? Do you have for people, especially when paying yourself takes time? I mean, my thought on that again is you start a small business and you, you invest some money there. I would look as the income as what you actually take in and what you bring in. In other words, a business will generate income, but you may not pull a draw or you may not take a dividend or however you're taking income, depending on how it's set up. But until it becomes income to you, to me, it's it's all capital still in the business. When you get to the point where you are taking salary or you are taking dividends or you're taking some type of an income, then you should begin to tithe on that gross income. Hmm. Good. The question that just came, should I tithe on child or spousal support? What are your thoughts about that? It's a great question. That is a great question. Uh, I would hope, I would hope that the ex-spouse would be paying tithing on that, but uh, I've found that that generally is not the case. Um, this is specifically for care of a child. Uh, from my perspective, I don't think that is income. It is money to be spent specifically, spent's the wrong word, to be allocated for the care of the child. If there is more income that is coming in than is needed for the allocation and care of that child or children, then I think it should go to the Lord. But ultimately, I still think a good answer to that would be, go to God. You know, He wants to communicate with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if He would like you to give some of that money to the church, to missions, He'll be happy to tell you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, um, this question, I don't know the answer. I probably should, but I don't. And perhaps uh, the three of you might help me with it. The question, and we're going to move a little bit away from tithing for just a moment, but what percentage of Christians tithe and has this trend changed over the past five to ten years? I have more of a response to the second part, which probably all of us do. But what percentage of Christians tithe? And you probably both, maybe all three, know the answer to that. The last survey I saw was 2%. I was hoping you weren't going to say that. So it's, it's down to two. 
Really, and John, you you, you concur? I heard two point three, so I'm not going to quibble over point three percent. Let's take yours, okay? And, and let's it was okay, actually point two point three. I saw the same statistic. <laughs> Did you? But I just rounded down. Okay. Okay. One is half full, and one's okay. Anyway, okay, but okay. Well, with that, that's not encouraging. I wish you wouldn't have asked that question. Whoever asked, no, I'm just teasing a little bit. But let's let's go to something here. Um, uh, this, this is talking a little more about how can we become more debt-free in this. It says this, with the stock market so volatile, what are some other investment vehicles to acquire wealth? Okay, with the stock market so volatile, what are some other investment vehicles to acquire wealth? So we're working on this concept, enjoying a debt-free relationship. How can we, if we do have money, let's assume that. That's a pretty big assumption, that we do have money. But if we do, what are some ways in which uh, to make it work for us? Uh, I think probably the best investment that you can make is to start a business. I mean, you're, you're there every day. You're running the business. If you're good at what you do and you're skilled at it, you know, starting a business is probably one of the best investments you can ever make. Most of the people that are truly wealthy, they're small business owners that have become big business owners. Uh, that's a, a great investment. Uh, you know, I, I firmly believe that in, in the long run, uh, real estate is a great investment. I mean, if for no other reason, it's an inflation hedge. It serves as a place to live or a place to operate a business from. It, it's a real thing that, that will always have value. I can't imagine a situation where uh, someone will pay you money to live in a home in San Diego. I mean, that's an income stream. So, uh, you know, those are a couple things that come to mind. Well, we learned, my husband and I learned by joining a, a group called, a group ministry called Crown Ministry. And we did it in a group, and we learned the biblical principles for a wide variety of issues, from borrowing to not borrowing to not giving credit to people. It was, it was probably one of the first turning points for us in being able to understand how carefully God has intended us to be wise stewards of mm -hmm. all of our lives, not just money. And then recently we went through uh, money mapping, which was kind of one-on-one. -on -one. But I think wherever you feel you can start and your, your desire is to really have a teachable heart to know what has God given you to be wise steward about, that's the whole issue. Money, I think if this is a core issue that you're worried about, you're concerned about, start where you are. There might be something here, and I, I think Jerry has something to talk about that. Well, truly it is. The first step for investing, I truly believe, is to have a plan. And the first plan, first part of that big equation, is to make sure that you have a planned spending program for your income and your expenses. Not only your monthly expenses, but also how you spend money, discretionary money, because just about everything is discretionary. I mean, even think about it, coffee is discretionary. Mm -hmm. No matter what brand you want to buy, it's discretionary. Then also what you do about non-monthly income. So having that plan in place first. And then also protecting your family with some life insurance. And then also doing estate planning of specifically having a will at a minimum in place. And then as we get to the investment side, then you truly need a financial professional to help you with that. And like John said, and he is a financial professional, uh, without a doubt, there are other things besides stock market investments. 
I do alternative investments for my clients for a certain percentage of their investment allocation. Uh, I'm not sure if it's good to talk about those now or not, but I, I do have clients that invest into railroad cars, into units that go onto ships to transport things. There are various other things like uh, actual producing natural gas wells that are possibilities. But those should certainly not be a percentage of your investment. It should be a very, very low percentage. But there are things that pay fixed interest rates. And of course, there is the stock market, but you don't have to uh, only be aggressive in the stock market. There are other options, dividend paying companies in particular. Thank you. Let's go back to the starting a business real quickly. Uh, in this in this economy, John, when you were saying, say, starting a business, so if I, which I don't, but I have very little culinary skills, but if I make cookies, and is that something I could begin to market? Where do you even start if you were going to start your own business? Let me caution you. First of all, starting a small business is high risk. 90% okay. of all small businesses fail in the first year, okay? But with high risk, there's a potential for high return. Okay. The first place I would start is to be skilled at what you are doing. Mm -hmm. Scripture tells us if you see a man who is skilled in his work, he will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Mm -hmm. So get very skilled, get very good at what you do, and then do it for yourself rather than an employer. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Now we can we can talk to you after the service or this the session tonight. Your cards are in the back on the table, right? To get even further further response to that. Let's a question that ties into uh, uh, back to the home. I think it was. Um, it uh, let's go back to say homeowner. You talked about homeowning. This question said, "Will you talk to us about pros and cons of having a mortgage during retirement? Be debt free going into retirement." How would you speak to that? Because you referred, John, a moment ago to owning a home uh, as a, a great investment to, to curb off various things, taxes, um, uh, inflation, various... Well, we don't all think that right now, but typically that's true, isn't it? But can you speak to us? Will you talk to us about pros and cons of having a mortgage during retirement, be debt-free going into retirement? I really believe that it is a very good goal to whatever dwelling you are inhabiting once you retire that it's paid for. It can be very modest, but the reason I say that is, again, just in a, on a super conservative way, if you have a home that's paid for, regardless of how modest it is, and you've got Social Security, you're probably not going to starve to death. If you've got a place to live and, and Social Security, you're going to have something to... to pay the bills with and eat with. That's a really a worst case scenario, but I, I to every client that I work with, I, if I catch them early enough, I really try to impose that goal upon them. Let me also say this on the other side though, if you get to retirement and you still have you know 20 years to pay on a mortgage and all of your assets are tied up in some type of a tax deferred account like an IRA or a 401k so that you would have to pull out a large chunk of that and get all of that thrown into one year where it's taxable in one year, that's probably not the wisest thing you should do because you're going to pay such a heavy tax penalty to pay that home off, you may not have enough assets left to generate an income. So again, if you start in your 20s or 30s or you've got enough time to get it paid off, highly encourage you to do, to do that and make that a goal while you're still young enough to see that uh, reality. 
I think it's important also to have that debt on the house paid off as you go into retirement because the majority of us have not saved enough for retirement. Uh, it used to be that uh, if we saved enough to live 10 to 15 years in retirement, that was probably our life expectancy. But we are living a long time in retirement now. And so we have to save a lot of money and the money that we have saved for retirement needs to go for that. So I concur that we need to have as many expenses eliminated going into retirement as we possibly can because the majority of us are going to live longer than we think we're going to. And it will be expensive. Could you, this, it's a question that hasn't been raised, but it's related to homeowners since we're on this homeowner concept. What do you, what do you suggest with someone who is uh, upside down? You know, this, it's a very common thing. I know Yolanda, you and I, no doubt, experiences on a daily basis where the person is really upside down. They, they owe more on their home um, than it's worth, of course. If we could just start there for just a moment and you respond to that. What, what have you done in your advising? Uh, I certainly, as a therapist, I'm not giving consultation work on how to deal with your money necessarily other than how emotionally to approach it as a couple or an individual or a family. But could you, could you help us? And Yolanda, you might have some great ideas as well. It's a tough one, isn't it? This is a very tough one because some people are more upside down than others. Some people are having trouble with income. Some people have payments that have adjusted. Some have interest rates that have adjusted. And all those things come into the mix. So always what I do is I sit down with the person. We formulate what the value is, what is owed, is the interest rate fixed, and then ask the really important question, how important is it to you to have this house? Is it a house or is there some type of psychological attachment in owning this house too? And then we go from there. And uh, we have gone all the way from people working diligently to get refinancing, get a fixed interest rate, keeping the home, realizing it's still going to take them 28, 27 years to pay this thing off, to other people selling, to others being so far upside down that uh, they have had to just address a short sale even though they knew it would uh, make and uh, create an impact onto their credit report. But generally, we try to look towards what will not harm you the most with your credit, but yet also what will create it so your family can be at peace and you can go forward and serve the Lord along with it? I guess my thoughts are um, in terms of if you're upside down on your mortgage. Uh, in other words, if you owe more on the property than it's worth, it's not a business decision to say we should just cut our losses and walk out and hand the keys to the bank. That's not God-honoring. One of the very first things that Jerry had up is that you should pay your debt, and there were no, no qualifications on that. However, um, there are instances, like Jerry described, if, if you have loss of a job, if you have, uh, say, the primary breadwinner passes away, 
and uh, there's just no way you can pay it. I mean, if you can't pay the debt, you can't pay the debt. That's where you might want to approach the bank and start talking about short sales and things of that nature. But uh, in, in my opinion, just because you're upside down, as long as you can pay the debt, you need to pay the debt. If you can possibly restructure it, refinance it, and, or you know, write a check and sell it, if you, need to, if you need to sell it, you need to be able to write a check and cover that shortfall. But if you have the income to pay it, you need to continue to pay it as long as you've got that income. Okay, those are, those are hard words to hear, but they're truly biblical. I think that's what you're saying. There is, there is a question back here or a statement. Mark, yes. It's, it should be on. Test, test. There you go. <clears throat> um, you just answered one of them. I was going to say, how does the church look at the uh, selling short? Um, second to that, then, if you are upside down, you just can't go out and refinance because nobody's going to refinance a house for more than, you, than it's worth, right? Are there places out there that will? I mean, that you can get that loan that's at the 4% versus maybe a 6% that you're at? There are very few places. There is one in particular. There's a government program where you can refinance for 100% through uh, FHA. Uh, if you qualify credit-wise, you have to be squeaky clean on your credit report. But uh, they will go up to 100% of value. Right. Just talk to you. Uh, you can talk to me. I'm not a mortgage broker, but I'll be happy to point you in the right direction later. Sounds good. Okay. Something that I'm hearing under the radar here is a lot of people who are upside down in this or have lost other possessions, sometimes what they have to deal with is not only the loss, but also the attachment to what that loss meant. And there's a lot of shame, which is misplaced shame, misplaced guilt for something either that was out of your control, what, even if there were things that you thought could contribute to it. There's a lot of couples, a lot of men that I've been talking to who feel a lot, an, an undue burden on themselves that I think um, should be taken off, should be removed, because they carry that. And very often when we lose something that as you said, Jerry, we're attached to, we want to replace it right away. And maybe we're not ready to hold on to that again. Maybe we need to have that time to repair, I guess, a, a repairing time to have that because that is a loss. And if we just keep trying to fill up what, we've, what we lose and we don't learn, then... So let's be real practical with it. You've led us into something very important. All three of you have, have tied into this. What are some steps we can take when, say, we're caught in a perplexing financial dilemma and perhaps the Lord is sharing with us that we do need to let it go? And we're, we're, what are some steps we take psychologically, emotionally, financially? What are some practical steps? There may be someone in our audience, somebody listening to this audio. What would be some practical steps that you've helped people take? Thank you, Yolanda, for leading us into that. Quite often what I do is I, I help people to understand that there truly has to be a grieving process. Mm. And since I'm not a professional in that, even though I do know the steps of grieving and I address that with them, I do refer them to a professional like one of these two. But without a doubt, the one thing that I do know is God still loves you. Mm. And he loves you as much, even if you have gone through a financial failure or a business failure, or a marriage failure, he still loves you as very much as the day he said, allow that person to be formed. 
Absolutely. And he will love you the same. Absolutely. Even mm -hmm. when you're successful or in failure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the things that my husband and I went through and I've helped other couples with is identifying what it is that you feel identifies you, whether it's a house or a car or even children. Because this is a much broader issue. And I feel that many people shy away from uh, looking at that and telling themselves the truth. There comes a time when God is asking you to let go of things that you're clutching or holding onto and wanting more of. And in that loss, you want to replace it. I think one of the lessons that my husband and I had was, how did we get in the position that we were? Because we wanted a quick fix. And I feel that many people, many Christians, expect God to just replace whatever was lost right away, almost like a magic wand. Mm. But I felt that in our situation and being in uh, Crown Ministry, what we heard is many people were grateful for the opportunity to learn the biblical principles and some of the things that they had overlooked or dismissed as not that important that brought them to the situation where they were. Mm -hmm. So they were wiser, smarter, and not as vulnerable to the passions, the desires, or the competition. So everyone has a different story, but I feel like uh, one of the first steps is taking your time mm -hmm. to find out how did I get here without any blame or shame. That's hard sometimes, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. What I would recommend is to literally be thankful for the things that you have. Mm -hmm. you, you can grieve over the things that you've lost and focus on what you've lost, or you can be thankful for the things that you've got. Mm -hmm. I mean, believe me, we as a, as a nation have been tremendously blessed mm -hmm. with, with material possessions. If you have good health, be thankful for that. If you have a good family, be thankful for that. Mm -hmm. if, if you turn that grief and that bitterness into praise and thanksgiving, it's very hard to stay in that grieving mode for very long. Mm. Thank you. I know we're running uh, just uh, about out of time, and I, I want to thank the three of you for these outstanding biblical truth. We started with biblical truth, Jerry. And you all led us into this, Yolanda and John, with what you just said. That's the epitome of God. He sees the greatness in us. As Brennan Manning quoted of Jesus, saying, when I saw you at your worst, I loved you the most. And the fact that he loved us at the very beginning, regardless of our failure or success, his love never stops. And it's unending. And that draws us to him. And that's where we um, actually delay gratification because we, our, our gratification is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that's the foundation, we're able to work on these other issues. And not one of us, I know I've never done this perfectly with my own finances, but I pray that I will continue to lean into Him and ask for His great grace. But would you join me in thanking this wonderful panel who joined us this evening? Thank you very much. Um, uh, we are going to talk just briefly about the next My Therapist Says. I think we have the uh, PowerPoint for that. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Yolanda's real quickly before we leave. The next one is Changing Negative Behaviors in My Mate. And actually, Molly LaCroix, I met with a group today and she was there and she just, we were, we were cackling a little bit about this title. Even though she's prepared for that, she's going to be presenting. 
um, changing those negative behaviors. It's going to be quite a discussion. So if you have a friend or a loved one that's wanting to change those behaviors, and by the way, that's the first thing that happens in marriage if you hadn't figured that out. After the honeymoon, right at the moment after the wedding, some people would say, he or she began changing me or tried to at that moment. So that's going to be very exciting. And then I would like to, that's the first Wednesday, of course, that's April 6th. And then Yolanda, if we can just mention, this is your, you want to tell just briefly about this? The book is in the back. It's called um, Telling Yourself the Truth. And I feel like whether it's finances or poor relationships or depression, anxiety, we all tell ourselves, uh, we all have negative beliefs, but they're not always based on the truth. So this book is fantastic. I have one group started and it is wonderful. We're uh, identifying the things that we tell ourselves in self-talk and we're challenging them and replacing it with the truth. It's very exciting. This group, that this new group that I'm doing is not just for women. Men are certainly invited. It's fun, it's fast, and uh, you'll learn a lot. And the truth, as you know, will set you free. That's on Mondays, starting in March. The sign-up list is in the back. Yes. Well, thank you again for coming. I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then we will go for the evening. Father, thank you for these wonderful people who came out this night to hear from you. We pray that anything that we might have said that didn't honor you, that somehow it be dismissed from those who have been listening. But we pray in the name of Jesus, as you have spoken clearly to each of us, and you do this individually, that our ears and hearts would be open to say, tell me more, Lord. Tell me more truth, so I can be set free and even enjoy your grace, your rich peace, and most importantly, your love that is free and never-ending, and you're always extending yourself to us. And we'll be careful to give you praise, and we pray this now in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, and I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Everything started to hum Still it's a real good bet The best is yet to come The best is yet to come And babe, won't it be fine You think you've seen the sun But you ain't seen it shine Wait 